0: This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to Ivan the Troll, he is one of the most well-known 3D printed gun advocates, he's behind many of the new designs and he's going to be talking to us about this new thing he has which has caused some controversy, the Plastikov, which is basically parts for a 3D printed no-serial assault rifle and he's going to also be talking about the so-called renaissance of 3D printed guns. Obviously this will not be for everyone but we don't all need to agree on everything, have a listen, it's very interesting. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front and you want more, please do consider subscribing on the Patreon, it supports us. Go to patreon.com slash popularfront or you can go to popularfront.co support. before we get into uh, all of this 3D printed gun stuff i want to talk firstly about this uh, this new what is essentially a 3D printed rifle or at least the parts for it the uh, the plastic of uh, tell us what is that
1: yeah so you know, in the 3D printed gun world, uh, at least early on, the vast majority of the development sort of circled around the AR-15, at least here in America. And I guess answering this question uh, sort of necessitates me disclaim the fact like in the U.S., uh, there's only one part of any given uh, gun that's actually defined and federally regulated as the firearm. So for AR-15s, this is the lower receiver. For like Glock handguns, it's the frame. For uh, AK-style rifles, it's the, it's the receiver. They don't have upper and lower receivers, they just have a receiver, sort of like more traditional rifles were all built this way. So in the United States, just that receiver on an AK is considered a firearm. Everything else to the government is just spare parts, can be ordered, no serial number, background check, no federal regulation at all on your way as far as ordering those parts. So, uh, you know, the early development of these sort of 3D printed guns, at least when it came to, you know, just the firearms components, I'll refer to them as firearm components. So, when I mean that, and I'll call them like a 3D printed firearm, I'm usually going to be referring to just the receiver component, you know, that, that, that loophole in U.S. law. So, the the AR-15s had a lot of development, so a lot of work went into 3D printable AR-15 lowers, them being the only federally regulated component. And for a long time, everybody believed that you know there's no way that you could actually pull off doing an AK receiver. You know the the belief is AR-15 lowers. You know pe- pe- people would parrot this point that you know they don't see a lot of the force of the gun actually cycling. They're not actually under any. People would constantly say they're not under any stress, which like from an engineering standpoint, isn't necessarily true. They're not under a lot of stress when you consider some of the other parts in the firearm, but they are under some stress. And people would say, you know, AK is it's far too violent of an action. There's far too much stress the receiver sees. And so that was like a given point for some time. And it was after, uh, a, a, I guess, technically a startup company called uh, DNO. Uh, there's a guy named Eric, who is the founder of that company. And they had managed to get, an AK style receiver where it was like their own proprietary homebrew setup that requires like permanently modifying an actual you know AKM parts kit but it would you know they they demonstrated a 3D printed receiver for an AK and they ran like you know 400 rounds through it before it started to fall apart but they had designed this receiver originally for milled aluminum so you know it worked pretty well in 3D printed uh, you know, 3D printed nylon is what they had used. And so that sort of opened my eyes to the fact like, okay, it wouldn't actually just be like a wild goose chase to pull this off. You know, you saw it on video. It actually worked kind of well. So I didn't want to follow their sort of proprietary pattern. So with the Plastikov, uh, I consulted with another developer, that being Freeman Ask, who did essentially all the work on the printable Glock frames. Uh, and I consulted with him a little bit for advice on the AK platform. But, you know, I ended up putting together, it's an actual AKM pattern. So the the DNO AK followed their own specific pattern. So we had to modify, you know, permanently modify AK parts. Mine takes essentially any AKM parts kit, and the AKM is the descendant of the AK-47. So the AK-47 used milled receivers, and what most people call an AK-47 is in actuality, an AKM and the AKM just uses a stamped receiver, and the the parts inside the receiver are riveted and pinned in place. So the the Plastikov uses these AKM parts kits, which at least in America, they're drying up now, but you know, 10 years prior to now, they were like all over, like you'd trip over them in the U.S., and they were cheap and all over the place, and they're getting more expensive and harder to find now, which is kind of unfortunate, at least for me. But the, these these parts kits you can take and then put them inside of a plastic oven I mean I can't make claims that the, the plastic oven being you know this 3D printed AKM receiver is stronger than like building an AK the proper way because it definitely isn't but it ends up being a lot cheaper because of course you know AKM receivers are like riveted together and riveting tools specifically for AKs are fairly expensive in terms of tooling as well as you have to like know how to use these tools. So the Plastikov sort of lowers the skill curve and definitely lowers the the tooling investment that you'd have to go through. And it, in, it ends up with something that will work for, you know, my first my first prototype Plastikov did 2.5 thousand rounds before it ended up cracking, but I had printed it in PLA, which is a corn and soybean based plastic for essentially designed for prototyping in 3D printing. And it's not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't boast any sort of particularly great strength. It's you know, a cheap crappy plastic that's used for expedient design of prototype parts. So if it did 2.5,000 in PLA, if you printed it in something more suitable, like a nylon, you could, you, you would automatically just expect it to last longer than 2.5,000 rounds. So, the Plastikov was sort of a interesting foray into something that for a long time people believe wasn't even close to possible, and then you end up finding like it's not only possible but it actually works pretty well
0: right um and now i'm I'm a dummy when it comes to guns I've obviously been around so many firearms in my life with my work, but i've never it's i'm not like a gun not I'm not particularly interested i don't you know it just doesn't mean much to me all I need to know is is that round going to go through my plate if it hits me you know what do i need to listen out for so explain then to me and i'm sure a lot of other people like a lot of brits we know nothing about guns uh most of us because you know we're not allowed to own butter knives so <laughs> you know what i mean so maybe explain to us what is the role of the receiver and what is the role of the lower
1: so uh the receiver as far as like the atf so the atf is the regulatory body in the United States that actually defines what the firearm part that I had mentioned before is. So the ATF has their own arbitrary definition that they define a receiver as. Uh, and in most cases, the part that they regulate doesn't actually fall under that definition. And there's been a little bit of scrutiny in court cases about that with the ATF. And in fact, the ATF has dropped out of pushing charges against people who are making machine guns because their legal defense was making the argument, the definition of, your definition of a firearm of this receiver in your, own, in your own law doesn't apply here. So there's a little bit of like a the law says one thing, but the ATF says the other. But from a firearms design standpoint, the receiver is a component that, generally speaking, holds together all of the other assorted components. So in the case of the AK, the receiver holds together everything. So it holds the barrel and the front trunnion and the rear trunnion. It holds the bolt in place. It holds the recoil spring in place. And in some cases, it holds the stock in place. So really, every part of that gun, it ends up having... Something to do with holding it in place. The receiver in an AK really even uh, holds the magazine in one dimension. So then the magazine would otherwise, you know, if it's non-constrained, it has three degrees of, uh, you know, th- three directions and three dimensions it could move. The receiver restricts one of those dimensions. So the receiver is actually doing, in the case of an AK, a lot in terms of being. It's like the if you want to think about it like the skeleton, where you know all of your ribs inside of your body are like the components that come off of it. But, like, your spine is sort of the receiver where everything tends to be built up off of it. And people people like to get off into, the, into semantic arguments like, well, a gun wouldn't fire if it didn't have a barrel. So a barrel's a more important component than a receiver. And, like, the easy counter argument is go ahead and fire an AK without a receiver. You, I mean, you can't. You could try and it would probably end up resulting in you blowing something up because, you know, the receiver does have uh, an important role to play. In you know keeping making sure things are in the right place. So w- when I say lower on an AR-15, there's an upper and lower receiver, and the AK it's just all one receiver. And that's how like firearms used to all be just one receiver. So like you think about your bolt-action rifles from World War One, all of them were just a receiver that the barrel and magazine and trigger group and bolt and everything you know runs off of. The AR-15 has an upper and a lower receiver, and a lot of modern firearms sort of follow this pattern of. The lower receiver, generally speaking, will hold the magazine, and it'll hold the fire control parts, and sometimes it'll hold the recoil spring assembly. In the case of an AR-15, it does hold the recoil spring assembly. And then the upper receiver is really just, uh, it holds the barrel in the right place, and it gives a, uh, you know, the bolt travels inside it, as the bolt reciprocates or travels, it does so inside of the upper receiver.
0: So then this is why your uh, receiver and the lower whatever is is so quote unquote problematic right because what you're doing is making this rifle or at least the parts for this rifle without serial numbers right you can print it yourself so it cannot be it can't be traced or anything is that right
1: right so like like the way i just explained it just sounds like an innocent sort of geeky thing but the way the way people who would not want you to have these things would sell it to you is like if you print the receiver, you've made what, what, what gets called a ghost gun. So the receiver itself is the only thing that it would, you know, if, if you bought it at a gun store, the receiver would require you to go through a background check and it would require you to fill out information. And that receiver, whoever actually manufactured it, would have to put a serial number on it and have the ATF be aware of that serial number's existence. So there's, there's you know, there's a, quite a bit of regulation that goes into it that way. But, you know, ever since the foundation of this country there's been no actual legal requirement for an individual manufacturing a firearm for their own personal use to have any sort of registration or any sort of serial number or any sort of background check involved in that process. So, you know, dating back to however old you want this question to be, you know, did the United States exist before the declaration? Uh, You know, know, did did it exist before the Revolutionary War, rather? Was it after the war, before the war that, you know, our, our laws became you know our country gained sovereignty regardless of how it is that you think that shakes out at either one of those points the united states had had a legal structure that made it perfectly legal for you to make your own gun although in current times that ends up being spun by people who don't want you to have guns as look they're manufacturing guns without background checks or without serial numbers and uh, there's this question this concern raised about like traceability like Let's say someone were to print a gun and then they were to go and shoot some rival drug deal or something with it. And then they were to like, for whatever reason, just drop the gun on the ground and leave it there instead of keep it with them. Like if the police recovered that gun, they'd essentially have no first step to go on as far as tracing uh, you know, so, 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 you know, th- normally the way that would work is if there was a gun that was dropped that had a serial number, they'd go and phone up the ATF and find where that you know, where that gun was first sold to. So the manufacturer, when they sell it to a distributor and that distributor to a gun store, those transactions are th- 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 those transactions are kept on paper and the ATF can then go and trace it to the gun store and then even to the first person who bought it from that gun store. From there the ATF just has to rely on word of mouth if the gun is sold third party to third party because in most states in the US if you sell third party to third party you don't need a background check. So they but but the, you know the point of that being the ATF at least has you know some chance of trying to go and track that down whereas the fear is with a 3D printed gun, if it was just left at a crime scene, they'd have nowhere to go. Of course, we realize, like with most most printed guns, I was talking about how they need a parts kit. Realistically, the ATF could go and search through sales of, they could subpoena and or have companies voluntarily divulge. parts kit sales record, they'd know what plastic it was printed on, and so they could go and ask Amazon, like, who in this area has bought this kind of plastic? So, like, the ATF, if they actually recovered the gun, would have a whole slew of options as far as actually tracing this thing down goes. They just wouldn't be able to do it the old school way. And so that's really what that untraceable question means, is that they wouldn't be able to do it the lazy way. They'd actually have to do, like, serious police investigation work, which I guess maybe they're opposed to, but... That's really what that question of uh, untraceability means to them.
0: With bearing that in mind now, I mean, I don't know about the laws, but it sounds illegal to do this. But you've said online that it's not illegal, right? What is the situation with the whole legality of these things?
1: So with, you know, 3D printed, uh, not only just 3D printed receivers, but, you know, 3D print as much, as, a gu- uh, as much of a gun as you'd like here in the United States, federally speaking, is entirely legal. So, you know, since the foundation of this country, legal to make your own gun. The technology that you use really doesn't matter. You just have to stick within the existing laws for any firearm. So generally speaking, the way that works is like, you know, the quick quick way that you can check that is if you could legally buy it and own it, you can legally make it and keep it.
0: Is that the same all over the U.S.?
1: Uh, federally speaking, yes. But state to state, there are you know individual states who have put additional regulations in the way. So, for example, in California, you cannot make your own gun unless you get permission from California's Department of Justice first and then they'll give you a serial number that you're required to put on the gun that you make so it's an entirely it's an entirely voluntarily voluntary law so if you just wanted to make a gun it's not like it's not like California would stop you from making one but you would get in trouble if you didn't get a serial number from them in advance uh, New Jersey, for quite some time now, has had it be completely illegal to manufacture any gun in the state unless you are federally licensed as a manufacturer of firearms. But again, that's sort of a situation where if you wanted to make a gun, it's not like they're stopping you from making a gun. They're just making it so that if you do make a gun, you'll get in additional trouble. So there are there are state-based laws that are aimed at punishing you should you actually go and do the thing, but it's not like it's stopping any criminal or even any uh, peaceful person who would otherwise be otherwise not be a criminal, from making a gun.
0: Mm, okay. Um, now, you kind of mentioned at the start about the various polymers and whatever, um, about what goes into the plastic off specifically, but maybe you can go over how was this made, how was it designed, and then how did it become functional? Now, disclaimer, <laughs> I'm not trying to get anyone to make one or anything like that, and I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, everyone go out and do it, but I think it's needed to explain this because some people are acting like, wow, everyone can now just 3D print uh, an automatic, semi-automatic rifle in, you know, in the interest of journalism. I want to find out how, what really goes into it because that is not quite how it works, right?
1: Right. So in the U.S., like the very, you know, the too-long-didn't-read version of it is yeah, actually you can just, you know, it, you know there's always an air quotes around just, but you can just print your own semi-automatic rifle just like that. But uh, as far as like the you know, the, the geeky in-depth look at it would be uh, you know, my, my design process started out at I took a uh, true-to-spec AKM CAD assembly. So it's just an AKM drawn and computer-aided design software. And I, you know I, I drilled down straight to the receiver and I looked at the receiver sort of how it was laid out. And I made note of, you know, th- these are what the critical dimensions are. So this is where a pin goes. This is where something's mounted to. This is geometry that I cannot change. I cannot reinforce. It has to be this shape. These two places have to be this far apart, that sort of thing. And so that's sort of how you sketch out your, your, your workspace. So stuff that isn't like i call it critical geometry so stuff that isn't critical geometry you can reinforce you can change you can make it a different shape thicker narrower you can make it angled you can make it look cooler than the flat surface that was before so that's all up to the designer to modify so i took the standard akm CAD assembly i opened up my handy dandy uh, uh google tabs and i went and looked up you know what's the what's the you know, what are some mechanical properties so like Tensile strength and bearing strength are particularly important to firearms design of receivers, and I went and looked at what are the what what are the mechanical properties of you know mild steel and then mild steel that's been hardened to the proper spec to be an AK receiver, as well as what are the mechanical properties of uh, P, you know common printing plastic. So I specifically sized this for PLA plastic, you know PLA being essentially one of the weakest plastics. Because if I design for the weakest and a stronger plastic, it'll do you know much better. So I had found that essentially PLA is about ten times weaker than mild steel. So I thought, you know, on the parts of this receiver that are going to see the full stress that this was designed for in mild steel, if I just make it ten times thicker or you know, ten times beefier for the for the particular force that's going to be applied to it, then I add about another twenty percent to that. Uh, 10 times because 3d printed parts aren't going to be as strong as like you know a solid chunk of pla is going to be stronger than a 3d printed chunk of pla because there will be you know little air gaps and little imperfections as the 3d printer lays down lines so i worked with that assumption and then sized the receiver for that and made it bulkier printed my first revision out my first revision ended up breaking it ended up taking me like three or four more revisions is i you know increase sizes in some place and decrease sizes somewhere to keep it so the receiver can flex where it needs to and will stay rigid where it needs to and it ended up being quite a bit of design work but by the end of the design work you're you you end up with this this model of the receiver that you know can be printed so the 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 work then for the designer becomes you have to document so you have to state what you did how you did it how is it that you would have someone else repeat these results and, you know, key to the Plastikov's working is that it's got uh, steel rails that the bolt rides on in the inside of the receiver. And I made these rails, so that, well, I spec these rails so they could just be made out of, like, regular off-the-shelf hardware square tubing that you cut with a hacksaw or a Dremel tool. As well as I included the CAD drawings for if you have a CNC, like an actual actual serious hardware, you could manufacture rails with that and not make them from the tubing. So, you know, with those drawing sets and all that documentation, I package it up and then get that posted online for people to download. So that's that that's really where I can answer, you know, at this point I can answer your question more succinctly. So what a person would have to do is have a 3D printer. So most most people are using the Creality Ender 3, which is a $200 made in China you know essentially an el cheapo printer but it is capable of really good results they would have had to have bought that and then followed you know one of multiple setup guides so we've got our own setup guide that we recommend people use but there are many options out there so they'd have to set up the printer to this guide which isn't you know isn't terribly hard it's like ikea furniture level and then they would have to download the files. They'd have to read and understand the files. And that ends up being like the hardest part of all of this is reading and understanding just like the plain English words that the developer writes out. You know, because people are very excited to go and print their gun, but they're not near as excited to like read about how you do that first. So they'll go and download the files. If, if, if they take their time and read the documentation and understand the documentation, they'll then you know take some of the files that are provided, put them into their 3D printing software then uh, have the 3D printing software do what's known as slicing. So it'll convert that part into slices that the 3D printer can understand, you know, each layer at a time. And then you take that sliced uh, file, and then you go and put that into your printer and then have it print. And so, you know, past the part of getting your printer set up and then understanding how to use the software, it's not terribly hard for the end user. For the developer, there's a ton of work that goes into all of this stuff, not only from the actual design side, but the documentation side. For the end user, once you've got, you know, assuming you've got a printer already made and set up and understanding that that's not much more di- more difficult than putting together some IKEA furniture. It really does come very close to a click print and then you've got your firearm. In, in this case, we're talking about firearm is in just the receiver manufactured. So getting the actual receiver manufactured from a printer, usually not very hard at all. The, there, there is additional difficulty then that comes in, though, whenever you're taking that receiver and you're going to assemble it into a working gun. So in the case of the Plastikov, it takes about an hour where, and I've got a detailed video coming up on this for an update to the Plastikov download package, where you know, I essentially videotape myself taking a Plastikov bare stripped receiver and then assembling it out into a into a complete firearm and demonstrating each of those steps but it takes about an hour where you take your you know your ak parts kit and then you assemble it on top of the plastikov receiver and then at the end of that hour you've got something that you'd be ready to go and tear rounds through so that's probably the closest it comes to like actual work because you have to know how to use some basic hand tools but again like Not much more difficult. Like, if you can put together IKEA furniture, you're definitely capable of either, you know, just straight up doing this sort of thing, or you're definitely capable of learning how to do this thing just by, like, you can watch the video and go, oh, okay, so it's new. It's like the IKEA furniture, just a little different.
0: Right. And I've seen some of these images where I was kind of joking on Twitter. I even made everybody annoyed, but it doesn't matter. But um, I was kind of joking on Twitter saying, like, wow, this is is alchemy. Because you had some pictures where it was... It was just like I don't know buckets of God knows what, all these different colors. Like it looked very complicated to me. Like what was all that?
1: Right. So that was that was pictures from a project that I I jokingly called. Uh, but what about barrels? So like, oh, geez, it would have been March of the previous year. So over a year ago now, we had released the CAD files for the 3D printable Glock frame. So all the, all the all the things that I've said so far about receivers being the only regulated part. When I say frame for a Glock, understand that it, it it's legally the same object as a receiver. So the frame for a Glock is the one regulated component. Nothing else in the US is regulated. So we had released 3D printable Glock frames, which were sort of another one of these things that people had always said, like, oh, you'll never make that work. And then it turns out that it actually works you know, really well. And it's probably become the most popular of you know 3D printed firearms, these Glock frames. But it was uh, March 17th, I believe, that those files had been released. But, like, on Twitter, there was an overwhelming horde of people who were mostly European, I think, I hope, who were saying, like, oh, but what about barrels? Where do you get barrels from? Like, the barrel isn't printed. What difference does this make? So, like, to the American people, you can explain, like, you're just an idiot. You can order that barrel online, and it'll be here in, like, two days. That's just how living in America works. But for Europeans, they may actually have a point there because, like, to Europeans, this doesn't matter. And so that's sort of the attitude I took was, like, well, if you're a European, this has this has no bearing on your life. Just go back to sleep.
0: But what about what about Europeans, although obviously it is illegal, what about Europeans that think, oh, I want to do this? You know, they actually can't print a barrel. Not that they should. <laughs> Cops, not that they should. But um, you know what I mean. It, it is a point.
1: Right. So that's, that's where uh, But What About Barrels really came in. So eventually we got to the point as in deterrence dispensed our little uh, geeky collection of people who developed these sort of files these sort of projects uh, got to the point where we decided we wanted to make a gun that was would, would utilize what you know by the european definition of what's a gun part it would use no gun parts on its parts list for construction so obviously after you modify these parts once you bring them to their final form they're going to be firearm parts and a lot of people don't still don't understand that because they're like, well, does that mean the gun's legal? Like, no. <laughs> Semi-automatic nine millimeters are not legal in England, and if you walk out in the street with one, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble. But it, it uses no firearm parts using essentially a European-wide definition of what is a firearm part when it comes to like what you buy in order to make the gun. So that that those pictures that I had shared on Twitter of, you know, the the like the pink painter's bucket that was full of like the most disgusting Nasty brown-colored uh, water that you've ever seen uh, is a setup that that's known as electrochemical machining. So, what electrochemical machining is is it's like it's technically a natural process. So, this happens on essentially any piece of metal that you've ever put in salt water gets electrochemically machined over time. So, that's that's the reason that you can't have you know a, a metal boat can't stay in the wa- salt water in the ocean forever, and it eventually has to be hauled out and rust has to be patched up, and like there'll be holes eaten away in this boat. And it's not by rust, but it's by a process known as electrochemical machining. Then it's it's electrochemical machining works in the process of electrolysis. And I don't want to get like too far into the geeky chemistry details of this, but essentially you can think of it as. Uh, because there's because there's a potential difference, a voltage between the, the the water and the metal, metal ions will come off of the barrel to satisfy, or metal ions will come off of the metal to satisfy that potential difference. That's like the very super simple version of it. So metal will gradually fall away from the metal little bits of metal, metal ions will fall away from the metal. So you can utilize that concept at a very accelerated rate by using a battery or a power supply as your potential difference. So you're not just using like this tiny bits of potential difference that you'll find you know in salt water versus the, the boat, you're using the potential difference of like an actual power supply. So you can take you know standard chrome alloy tubing and this is sold from China as like explosion proof tubing which kind of sounds conspicuous, but it has actual use like explosion proof means something in hydraulic tubing. It means that it can see, you know, shock, shock force from as a hydraulic tube. it can see shock forces from that, you know, in, in the event that you have like, you know, high pressure hydraulic application that you're working on. So you can buy these tubes from China and then using a process that was pioneered by an individual named Jeff Rod before I sort of Took over. I I conferred with him and took the good things about his setup, and then left the bad things about his setup. And then we sort of conferred about how best would we go about something like this. And so, you know, standing on his shoulders, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, sort of a thing, I was able to put together this setup where you can three D print the tooling that you need. So you three D print all of the work holding and the fixturing. And the coolest part that you print is you three D print a little plastic. uh, It's essentially like a little plastic tower that has spirals cut into it so by spirals cut into i mean it's got you know when it prints it prints a spiral groove inside of this tower and you end up laying copper wires inside of those spirals and then whenever you put that assembly inside of your barrel and run salt water past it with an electrical potential difference between the outside of the barrel and then the wires it will electrochemically machine the groove held by those wires into the barrel so if you're understanding what i'm saying you 3d print a tool that has rifling grooves in it you put copper wires in those grooves you do electrochemical machining using that tool and you machine rifling grooves into this barrel into this tube so you go from just a plain a plain steel tube it's you know chrome alloy it's hardened you know a good a good candidate to be barrel material and then you use this electrochemical machining setup to put rifling grooves into this barrel and to bring the barrel to the proper inside diameter and to give the barrel a chamber so a live round can fit inside of it. So you go from an unregulated, it's just a standard hydraulic tube to you've made yourself you know, a suitable handgun barrel. And I've done a bit of testing as far as you know the velocity of projectile shot from that barrel. It's on par with what you would expect from a factory barrel. And I've done accuracy tests with them as well. And I've again found it's on par with what you'd expect from a specifically a Glock factory Uh, handgun barrel you know in equal length barrels when comparing the velocity and accuracy so it's like a very promising in fact I I even go beyond promising and say it's a well-proven process that was sort of put together that offers a you know in the presence of a barrel regulation or a barrel ban you can use a 3d printer to print you specialized tooling for like 30, 40 cents. It doesn't cost hardly anything at all to print one of, I call them a rifling mandrel. These towers with the rifling grooves printed into them. Cost you barely anything to print one. And then you can use that tool to machine rifling grooves into hardened chrome alloy steel. Which is cool because you know normally cutting hardened chrome alloy steel requires a very beefy setup because you know that's hard stuff, that's strong stuff, and it's difficult to machine it using traditional tools. But electrochemical machining does not care how hard your workpiece is; it cares about how it. It's technically called its valency, but you can think about that of how you can think about that as how well the piece of metal conducts electricity. So chrome alloy steel conducts electricity well enough, so you can machine it using. A little 3d printed part with some copper wire
0: that is an incredible level of um knowledge you have over all of this and i noticed you've been saying like we we did this we who is we who is who are you doing this with
1: so it's so, sort of a royal we so essentially all of this project like i i mentioned i'd conferred with jeff rod as far as like ha, you know i went from the complete novice to like okay I understand what i'm doing very quick thanks to him but you know it's the royal we when it comes to the actual design of this process so you know I, I came up with the came up with you know the exact process itself using inspiration and advice from jeff rod and then developed it to the point where it's like a repeatable process and then did all the documentation on it but like the sort of we i refer to is like I guess deterrence dispensed, and I was designing this barrel specifically around the FGC9 that uh, Jay Stark was working on at the time, because you know he he was envisioning you know, th- this gun that I was talking about earlier, the gun made from no uh, regulated firearms parts based on the EU definition of that term, that that ended up becoming you know that's what the FGC9 ended up becoming, and so I was you know I took up the mantle of designing the barrel and the barreling solution for that, and so what I mean when I say that is like I I took up the the task of you know we, we can buy ourselves an unregulated hydraulic tube and we know that we want to make it a barrel what happens in the middle and so i took up the t- took upon myself the task of you know determining how it is that you go from tube to barrel
0: right but like um, going back to these kind of groups you are a part of like you know you have it kind of tongue-in-cheek um was it uh yours is deterrence dispensed right Right, right 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 yeah maybe maybe just talk about them guys i mean i'm not asking you to pinpoint anyone specifically but there there is a group of you i'll follow a few of you guys online like it's very this this whole thing is just fascinating to me as a journalist it's very interesting to see it develop and also to see the reaction to it, which we'll get on to but uh maybe just tell us a little bit about your guys and you know the other people involved
1: sure so Deterrent suspense is like like the elevator pitch version of it is it's a decentralized collective of like uh, devoted individuals who've got skills in you know any number of things so uh, some of the some of people some people are just strictly developers so what they're really good at is you know coming up with these files and these designs some people are really good at documentation so they're really good at explaining to you on a very basic level of how you take a design and you make a gun with it some people are like uh, you know we, we call them like signal boosters or they're like the propaganda arm so they're good at like telling people you know spreading the good word if you will whether or not you believe the word is good or bad, it's the good word to me. Um, and we've got uh, sort of people who are like security privacy experts. So they're, they're kind of good at these sorts of uh, technologies that allow us to uh, navigate and have secure channels and collaborate very effectively. So I'm sure I'm sure you may be aware, but we, we collaborate a lot on a service known as Keybase. And the privacy details don't really matter a lot to me as an American, especially one that I'm sure is on a large number of watch lists already. So it doesn't make a huge difference to me in terms of privacy, but it does to a lot of people who wish to remain anonymous. So all if all they're here to do is learn how to make a gun and they don't want other people knowing that they know how to make a gun, this that, that key-based platform sort of offers them that ability so they can still be helpful in terms of providing feedback and letting people know like, hey, I made this and I noticed these things while making it. Maybe these could be improved in a future version without like immediately outing themselves is like this is where i live and this is my ip address like you would if you like tried to collaborate over twitter or something
0: right and then why why do they feel the need to stay secret and i'm 100 I'm not against anonymity especially online um but what, why do they feel that you know what they're criminals or they want to be private why
1: uh for most people i'm sure it's a, a, a mixture of multiple things so if i had to like uh, this isn't like a straight guess because of course i've talked to some people and heard some people's concerns like one of them is uh, people don't want the government knowing that they have guns which at least at least to me as an american is totally understandable and i am in that same boat although i'm sure at this point like the chances of the government not knowing that i have guns is extremely slim uh i'm sure another reason is uh for some people what they do isn't isn't legal so they're they're Peaceful people, I do believe, but what because because of the fact that they're making firearms, they are criminals. So they would not be criminals if not for the fact that they're interested in making guns. So, like, we have people in California who have printed guns without getting serial numbers from the DOJ. Uh, we've seen people who at least claim to be from New Jersey who are making guns, who have taken, taken pictures of their 3D printed guns next to what looks like, you know, welcome to this town in New Jersey road sign, like, oh, you're <laughs> asking for trouble, but I appreciate the... I appreciate the trolling effort uh, as well as you know there's some people who live you know, not in the united states who are engaged in these things and there are there are legal routes to print guns in canada uh, but much beyond that it's it's very very hit and miss and more often miss than hit as far as it being legal to make uh, firearms anywhere else around the world so you know there's people who outside of the U.S. who don't have the proper licensing or permission to be making guns, who are making guns and want to remain private for those reasons.
0: Mm. And that is, of course, highly illegal, and I'm not one to be moralizing it is what it is, but you've caused a lot of controversy. We can't like pretend that that isn't happening. And you know, I don't wanna to get too bogged down in the politics of it. This is not a politics podcast. This is about conflict and a 3D printed uh, gun certainly is in that remit. But a lot of people are very angry at you for doing this. Why are you doing this Ivan?
1: So uh, without s- sounding too fanatical, it's my personal belief that uh, I-, I don't necessarily believe that everyone should have a gun, right? like I recognize like pedophiles having guns isn't a good thing, but I also believe that pedophiles shouldn't be alive in the first place. But I believe that the, the the way that politics ends up necessitating things be is it generally ends up being a, everyone can have this thing or only the super rich so i guess i'll start by saying everyone can have this thing or no one can have this thing and in the cases where no one can have it we understand that the super rich don't have to abide by laws like that like drug bans don't apply to the super rich people uh even bans on like possession of like contraband beyond drugs Never apply to super rich people. And sometimes there's avenues for super rich people to own things. So, like contraband, like firearms in most of Europe, if you're rich enough and you have enough connections, you can end up owning a firearm and have it be perfectly legal. But it generally requires you be rich and of decent social standing. And in some cases, like you have to know a guy who knows a guy. And so in it under with that understanding of the way that government regulation ends up working, I would rather see a world where everyone is able to have a gun or at the very least is able to have the knowledge of knowing how to make a gun than a world where the only people who have the knowledge to know how to make a gun are the kinds of people that have uh, excessive amounts of wealth or power, as well as, you know, the, you know, the number one people, the number one groups of people who have uh, wealth and power in the world are governments, right? And I can't help but look at the fact that it's really hard to pick a government in this world that hasn't done something like unspeakably atrocious in its history and that then won't apologize for the fact that it's done something unspeakably atrocious in its history. And given the fact that that's a thing that has happened with pretty much every country, I I personally don't feel comfortable trusting any government around me if I can't have some balance in that power struggle that is the government's you know the government's power versus the people's rights because i don't think that your rights can exist with the presence of total government power and all, you know on the flip side of that coin i will i will acknowledge the fact that you know government power cannot exist in the total presence of your rights so there is obviously a balance in the power struggle there that really has existed in my mind as long as government itself has existed. But I believe that firearms offer you some balance in that equation. So if we are to draw the line where you know your rights end and the government's power begins, I believe that firearms uh, help draw that line more favorably for people's rights, as well as help make sure that that line can't suddenly shift massively against the citizen's rights. But, of course, that that then understands, you know, know, the the easy counter argument to that is, like, uh, does that mean that you're going to shoot the government if they, like, move against you in this tiny way? No, probably not. I mean, historically speaking, we've seen that that usually doesn't happen. But historically speaking, we have seen firearms make a difference in instances like that. And I believe that the chance to have that happen, however unlikely it may be, is more important than the potential danger that you risk by having this sort of knowledge, this ability to make a firearm be uh, an equalizing thing among all people in your society.
0: I mean, what was it Mark said? What was it? Uh, under no pretext. They should free
1: men, ever be, or the working class, whoever, be denied the denied access to arms.
0: Right, yeah. But... With that said, people might say, "Well, you're just saying that." Especially talking to me, you know. I mean, everyone's always saying, "Oh, you're an anarchist." I, I've never publicly stated my political ideology because I think it's a lot deeper than one ism or schism. But people might say, "Well, you're just trying to make you know yourself seem like uh, you know you're appealing to a certain amount of people." I mean, what would you say?
1: Um, I, I guess like, and again, it's like difficult to justify this because, like, my 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 easy easy way out there would be like. If I was, like, here to get attention, I'd probably get more attention, like, posting put fit foot pictures on Only OnlyFans or something. Like, if, if all I was here to do was, like, get attention and cause trouble, there's a lot better ways to do that than, like, spend a lot of personal time and a lot of personal money on developing, you know, 3D printable firearms, like, you know i i believe you know i have this vision of this world and that that i would like to see in these strong strongly held firm beliefs and i you know i i saw a way you know as you know as recently as like two three years ago like i really saw like i can make the world at least move in a very small way towards the way that i want it to be through a very deliberate action a very deliberate specific action on my part and so i sort of took that deliberate specific action and i was Fairly, fairly quickly, I mean, it was maybe within the span of six months, I was rewarded by seeing like, people had taken my work and then used it to make guns. And they weren't necessarily there, you know, like like the, the the poster child of while that rant that I had just had would be like a like a, a, a person who's a pro, 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 like a persecuted minority in a particular authoritarian regime makes a gun and then shoots the people that comes to take them to whatever their re-education camp is like that kind of person i haven't necessarily seen make a gun yet but i've seen people in the u.s make guns and that sort of like reaffirms my belief that there's at least some interest somewhere in That people have even if it's like let's say it's just totally localized to the u.s you can at least see some people who identify with this culture and this idea that i'm that i'm professing and that sort of affirms my views in this way so like the the detraction that i'm just sort of doing this sort of thing for attention doesn't doesn't really seem to make sense to me because I feel like there's a lot better ways to make attention than spend a lot of your own money and a lot of your own time on something that you don't earn time or money back on.
0: And and to your credit, like I, I saw that argument the other day where you basically, you know, you kind of came out and said, fuck Nazis and fuck like Soviet communists. Like I agree with that as well. Like this is anti-fascist, anti-tanky. I hate them all. And, you know, I saw a lot of people were like, I hate Ivan now. Oh. And it was like, you know, you didn't have to do that. I get that. But these people can use what's going out there. Um, and I, th- I I struggle with this, right? Because I think, like, I, I'm pro self-defense. I'm not particularly pro-gun. I just think any self-defense is absolutely you know a must for anybody who wants to be a free person in any society whether that comes from self-defense physically or, or otherwise i think that's an important part of being free you know as a people's but i often think if 3d printed guns specifically now the plastic of what you've made now if the lads on the block that i am from got hold of them within a week and trust me on this they would be shooting up the place everywhere it would be chaos so it's a hard one i mean what would you what would you say to that i guess
1: well like there's obviously uh, cultural differences right but and you know people always say that like well i'm not indoctrinated because i believe that people should be free and like the reason you believe that is actually probably is just a result of indoctrination that you interpret it differently so like the the american idea of being free or being a patriot is very different than like the German idea of being free and being a Patriot. I'd gotten into an argument with a guy from Germany and he, he was arguing that like freedom and patriotism to him meant like you go and pay more taxes than anybody else. And you uh, you help you help make the you help the government make sure that everyone around you is safe and i couldn't help reading that like no that's not that's not what it means but then i sort of realized like i took a step back and i was like well think about you know if this dude's like he his profile picture made him look like he was about 30 and i was like you know given his age and where he grew up maybe he actually believes that's what freedom and patriotism is about is that's how he sees the world that he wants to see come about and that was sort of like a oh like, like like you know i i like to think like oh i'm not brainwashed and i'm not a i'm not just some product of the system that i came from but i've by now i've like completely embraced like i am just a product of you know i i was made by this system that i was born into and i can't can't help but i can't help change that fact no matter no matter how hard i want to and so like i realize the fact then you know, getting back to your original question that there are people who aren't sort of acclimated to this culture like this idea of the fire a firearm can be uh, you know a great power in this you know the spider-man thing like the great with great power comes great responsibility like there's absolutely people who don't understand that and i feel like being born in america especially being born into like this whole second amendment culture you're sort of that, that sort of idea sort of like grows naturally within you and so i i totally accept and would would even argue in defense of the argument that there are some people who once given a gun are absolutely not going to do responsible things with them as you know, it's, you know, it's the way things work. Just like, you know, if you, if you give a culture, that's not acclimated to having, you know, fast cars, like lots of people in America have cars that can you know, go 200 miles an hour and zero to 60 in four seconds. But, but, America's drivers like do a really, really good job at following traffic laws. Like it's very rare that you see drag races at stop signs. It's very rare that you see somebody just like lay down rubber and go crazy. It's it's even extremely uncommon to see somebody going faster than 80, 90 miles an hour on the highway. You know, when we all realize they could be driving much faster than that.
0: Right, right. Sorry to cut you in, but like if you want to get rid of an enemy, no one is gonna go right. Let me get my car and drag race into him. I mean, rarely. You know, it's gonna be access to a weapon
1: I, I see I see what you're saying there what you're saying is the, the analog there between cars and firearms isn't an apt one and I, I agree I agree with your sentiment there I was just sort of highlighting the fact like there's there's like certain cultural systems that make people more responsible when given uh ex- excessive amounts of power so, so like you know, an American—it's much more common, I would argue, in America versus you know, say Great Britain, that someone would come into owning you know a powerful fast car. Like, I—I I went to high school, right, and I feel like I knew at least ten people who had eight-cylinder Mustangs, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure, in the UK, that's something that like that's like a dream car for most like middle-aged white men. <laughs> meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, these kids still had like bumps, you know, acne all over their face, and you know, they had eight-cylinder Mustangs, but they drove them you know respectably enough to not crash them which for you know a, a young stupid person is impressive so like I, I i think that there's an argument to be made for the fact that like these cultural differences are largely what drive what people do with you know in, in what people do in response to uh having that sort of like power that sort of you could be extremely reckless or you could be extremely responsible with the power that's granted to you so I, I had heard an argument recently uh, from a Chinese guy who had said that he believes that all people in America should have guns simply given the fact that guns are everywhere in America and it's you know, it's, it's a common denominator at that point. But he then made the argument that like nobody in China should have guns because we've pretty much done away with anyone having guns there. Like The chances that you get into a shootout or someone breaks into your house with a gun is very slim in China at least when compared to America. And so I feel like I, I, don't, I don't agree. I don't agree with that argument, necessarily. Especially given the fact that China is something of an authoritarian wasteland.
0: Well, yeah, I, I was literally just about to say like, yeah, that's a great argument for him. What about these kids that are getting absolutely smashed up now in Hong Kong, right? Or the Uyghurs?
1: The Muslims, right. Rounded up into fucking actual Nazi-style trains and taken away into the, the camps to be re-educated.
0: Well, it goes, it goes back to what you said about like, you know, I guess you were trying to say that people's idea of freedom is kind of subjective, but uh, I mean, I, I don't always agree with that. I think some things are black and white, you know, you're free or you're not. Sure, there's different levels to that, but I think, you know, there is right and wrong, and that is not right. Like, you know, that brutal state indoctrination of the the CCP is not right. Putting Uyghurs into concentration camps simply because they're a different religion is not right, and bombing children in school buses in Yemen like the US government has done and just being like, whoops, that's not right. So, you know, <laughs> there there is right and wrong. It's not all in this kind of kind of like weird space i do think there are some ultimate ultimate like ends to these arguments
1: absolutely and um like you've presented a really difficult question for me to answer succinctly at least without at, le- at least without like being able to like i'm going to have to sit and think about this tonight like your question of like, OK, but there's some people who you would give guns to who and, and not necessarily that they would just like murder one another with them, but they would not be smart or responsible with. Like I'm aware of you know, like I, I live in America and I went to a high school and I was surrounded by idiots every day. Like I wouldn't feel OK with like half the people I went. To, I wouldn't. How about this? I wouldn't be comfortable with half the people I went to high school with having guns, especially not when I was in high school with them. But I don't believe that that fact means that they should necessarily be barred from owning a firearm. I just believe that uh, if they actually were in a situation where they needed to have a gun, then being able to access one is more important than my belief that like, oh my God, I wouldn't be comfortable around them having a gun if they were to have one and perhaps that comes down to like uh, education system sort of a thing. So like I've I've always been a proponent of the fact that I really think that American schools should teach gun safety, you know, as as part of their curriculum. Like there's more guns than there are people in this country. Like, you know, we're very we're very cautious about teaching kids like, you know, look both ways before you cross the street sort of a thing, but like the only things will t- the only time guns are mentioned in school is like, oh, don't touch them and like you're also told not to touch the cookie jar and you're also told like like I, I, the, the best analog I've heard came from my grandfather and he was talking about like uh, in the early seventies, the only sort of like sex ed that was taught, taught in schools was like strict abstinence, like just don't do it. Uh, and then you saw like teenage pregnancy rates were like through the roof and STD rates were like through the roof because kids went and did it anyway because they don't listen to adults because that's how kids work. And so there was sort of a paradigm shift in most states around the eighties and through the nineties where, And they shifted to saying, like, instead of don't do it, they were like, this is what can go wrong if you don't do it safely. This is how you do it safely. Please make an informed decision. And you see uh, STD rates drop and you see teenage pregnancy rates drop, like, to today, like, astronomically quick, at least compared to where they were in the 70s. And I feel like instead of, like, an abstinence-style education around firearms, I feel like at least, like, accidental shootings, you could help solve a lot of them by teaching kids, like, this is how you you know don't don't touch a gun. Not a great idea. But if you are going to touch a gun, don't point it at your friend before you pull the trigger to find out if it's loaded. Even even as simple stuff as that.
0: Yeah, and I mean like you know like we you know Catholics. I mean I can say this because family whatever. Like you try telling a Catholic don't fuck. They'll they'll come out with ten kids next week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that's that's right. a god thing. So the fact that there are so many. I mean it's hard, it's like oh man that seems a shame to even think about and I'm saying this from a British point of view, obviously it's a different culture but it does seem to me like yeah, if there is more guns than people, surely you want to teach people gun safety, like surely, that to me doesn't seem controversial.
1: Oh it's extremely controversial oddly enough, like you'd think this is like not even a partisan issue but the 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 thing that hangs people up is usually two things. The first one being they don't think that they're when I'm talking about they and they're here, it's the kind of people who don't want guns in society at all are like vehemently opposed to their kid, knowing how a gun works. Cause in order to know, in order to know how to handle a gun safely, you need to know how to use a gun. It just sort of, you know, one fact necessitates the other. Uh, they're not, ha- they're not happy with their kid knowing how to do that. And then the, you know, the other fact is I would also advocate that, you know, while I realize like the means of this are like totally improbable, like the logistics for it are like n- not going to ever happen. I feel like it would also be useful for if your parents are okay with it, every kid going and having like a field trip to a shooting range where they each have a one-on- one instructor just let them shoot maybe five rounds through a gun so that way everyone knows exactly what it's like. So you know if you're ever in a situation where there's a gun around you, you are completely comfortable picking it up and unloading it and making it safe you know if if that's what needs to happen so that's that's my like uh, controversial crazy view on the fact that you know there's more guns than people here and i for some reason believe that everyone should know how to make one you know, render one safe if they run into one
0: it's um. Do you know what I've just been thinking? Like, listen to what you're saying, and I think a lot of it comes down to personal who you are as a person, your personality, your character, and life experience. You know, because like what you've just said there. You know, even I'm thinking, whoa, man! Like, take kids to a shooting range, but then w- one of my one of my best friends is a Kurdish guy, and I remember he was, he's no interest in weapons whatsoever, and he was like, oh yeah, we learned to shoot when we were like eleven. It's standard, like you know what I mean. So it it comes down to your environment and all of that. Um. But anyway, getting back onto the whole um, you know, 3D-printed guns, you said there, like, oh, yeah, you're 3D-printing these guns, and your philosophy is that the government shouldn't have the power, or at least if they have it, you should have it. But in, in like, some kind of crazy Civil War situation, you're not going to draw for the plastic of right? You're going to draw for the AR, like a real, like, I don't want to say real weapon, but like a, a standard gun.
1: Like, almost definitely. And then, it, like, the the this opens like a whole nother door to this debate this the way that this uh argument works in the United States and that 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 being like uh, it's important at least in my mind that should you know should things really kick off that you uh, you as an individual have a firearm that the government isn't aware exists you know at least one uh, and you know there, there are routes to like make those out of uh, out, out of metal, like make them, you know, in air quotes, proper the right way. Uh, and Those being, you know, eighty percent receivers. Which, uh, if, you, if I'm, I'm sure some some elements of your audience won't be familiar, but you know, early I had talked about the fact, you know, the ATF decides what is and isn't a receiver based on their arbitrary laws that they don't really follow. They assume that the law means one thing, even if it doesn't say that one thing. So the ATF had been asked uh, in the early 2000s, early mid 2000s, if an AR-15 lower that has you know, what that has several machining operations left to do, and these machining operations in question are milling out the trigger pocket and then milling the fire control group holes. The ATF was asked, so if, if you have an AR lower that doesn't have those milling operations finished yet, is it a firearm? And the ATF waffled for a little bit and then they eventually said, Well, okay, yes. That then it is not a firearm. So that became known as an 80% receiver. And the 80% is a marketing term that's meant to suggest like 80% of the machining is done and you just have to do 20% of it. But it doesn't actually mean anything. Like there's not actual per, actually a percentage that the ATF says like everything up to this point is fine and past it's a firearm. The ATF just like it, it's not a receiver or it's not, not not a firearm or it is a firearm to them. It's, it's not like 80% of the way to being a firearm in their mind. They don't recognize percents. It's just a yes or no. So in the U.S., there's you know a large number of uh, configurations you can get 80% receivers in. So you can get 80% Glock frames or 80% AR-15 lowers or 80% AK receivers even. So you can then end up making your uh, firearms, build, build them out on these 80% receivers. Uh, 3D printing sort of offers just one other avenue to do that. And we realize it's not necessarily as strong as 80% receivers, but it's definitely more economical like one, assuming you're going to build more than like two or three guns your 3d printer will have paid for itself and then anything past there you're saving money versus an 80 percent receiver build as well as the 3d printer uh, offers you a zero percent if you will approach so a 3d printer starts from something where there isn't a clear point of regulation i, I fully believe that you know come next election cycle and after next election cycle in the U.S., the 80% receivers are going to be uh, regulated away from legality. Uh, just you know, one way or the other. Essentially, it doesn't even matter who, uh, president-wise, who wins. I feel like they're going. The 80% receivers are going to face a tremendous, tremendous amount of pressure to get them banned. 3D printed parts offer like another, you know, like another another layer of the onion, if you will. Like as people who want to take away guns, peel back layers before they're trying to get to the middle of this onion and get what it is that they really want like if that's total disarmament or that's like a- as if they would just stop at the scary black rifles and, you know it puts another layer of this onion that they'd have to peel away because 3D printed receivers start from 0%. Like there's no like they can't stop the sale of plastic and they can't really stop the sale of receiver or 3D printers because you could make a gun with them and then they can't you know there's no there's no like easy middleman like 80% receivers offer. So uh, as far as like you know, what gun would you reach for whenever the Civil War kicks off? It it is obviously a little bit of a niche situation in the U.S. Like, would you reach for your 80% receiver or would you reach for your you know your honest to God or your, like your plastic one? Uh, I probably wouldn't reach for a plastic one over an 80% receiver. That being said, it's nice to have these options you know going forward. So. I believe that 80% receivers days are numbered and that they all you know, they only ever had numbered days left to be around and 3d printing sort of offers you that extra alternative if you're someone who didn't hop on the 80% receiver train while it was still legal. So it's perhaps then just another option in that regard. And then it also comes down to like the, the way that logistics work in the United States because receivers are regulated as firearms, there's additional paperwork that manufacturers of them have to go through. There's additional taxes that they have to go through just to make them. Then there's additional taxes they have to go through whenever they try to sell them to a distributor. So there's a lot more overhead that goes around with just receivers. Whereas if they just manufacture the parts that aren't the firearm, so if they make everything that isn't a receiver, what's known as a parts kit, they don't have to pay any of those taxes. They don't have to pay for registration. They don't have to pay for any of those taxes. They don't even have to have a federal license to be manufacturing those parts for parts kits. So there ends up being a surplus of just parts in the United States. So, you know, we saw at the very beginning of this uh, coronavirus pandemic in the United States, like, gun stores were wiped out and there was, like, people waiting, like, five hours in line to buy a gun, which is, like, absolutely crazy to me. But, like, you saw a supply of actual manufactured firearms dry up in, like, a couple weeks. Meanwhile, these parts kits stayed around, you know, for a much longer time because manufacturers can make these parts kits... You know much much quicker, much more easier because they don't have to wait for registration and they don't have to pay for uh, the taxes involved with making what's known the actual firearm part. So for a little while there where there was the run on firearms you could get parts kits easily you could still buy 3D printers easily and so you could be using this 3d printer in this you know this weird uh, situation where parts were easy to get but firearms themselves weren't but you could print yourself the firearm component so i could perceive in the event of maybe a civil war or a further tightening of you know gun control laws in the united states that 3d printed stuff still sees a usefulness in it's for the people who didn't get one while the getting was good or it's for the people who want to have more than one so let's say you know you have your one good rifle but let's say you want to have two or three more cuz like in this in this like uh, imaginary civil war, firearms become currency or in this imaginary civil war, you perceive the need to have essentially like burner rifles. So if you don't want to have to take, you know, your one good one out, you could take your your cheaper one because there, there is a little bit of a cost save with building one yourself, or you perceive uh, a, a potential event where you can see yourselves getting new parts because everyone will make a run on guns again in the event of this, you know, potential civil war, like we saw with, Uh, the pandemic and like we saw with the riots following it everyone made a run on guns but the parts were left where they were so the parts may still be accessible for people who find themselves needing to come into new rifles both preceding and following this you know this hypothetical civil war
0: i keep thinking about what you said about like um it sounds to me like you're saying if if they do come for the guns you know at least you have this one they don't know about which would be what like the plastic of or whatever
1: Right. So like, like an 80 percent receiver would fill that role because, again, you know, it's the same way it's not required to be serialized or registered. And I guess I guess you know, the, the argument I've, I've made the argument in the past, and I don't believe it's a super strong argument, but, you know, the, the government regulatory bodies could seize the sale records of 80 percent receivers that you bought online or you bought with a credit card like they could see that and could try to come track them down that said like you could meet them at, unless they had a warrant you could just meet them at the door and said nope i bought them sold them to my friend immediately sorry and you know just tell them tell them to you know go on their 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 merry old way down the street so, so you know se- essentially like I, I it would be important to have one like like if they had if, if you bought your ar-15 from a gun shop and th- th- that would mean that you know, the, the ATF could go to the manufacturer, they could ask the manufacturer for all their records, they could go to the distributor that, that, that AR-15 went to, and then to the gun store that, they, that AR-15 went to, and then they could see, like, you own that AR-15, and they could come and ask you, like, do you still have it? And then it comes up to do you want to lie to the face of an agent who's come to ask for it? That said, I don't know that confiscation would ever go that far in the United States because if you look at the actual number of employees the ATF has, if they took you know everyone, so all of their desk jockeys, all of their executives, and turned them all into like beat cops going door to door, it would take them like 30-something years, assuming that it would take them five years to pick up an AR-15. It would take them 30 years to pick up all of the AR-15s in the country. So, yeah, good luck. That's assuming, like, they never get shot at, and that's assuming, like, no one lies to them and says, nope, don't have it anymore. It's, like, assuming they don't even have to get warrants. So, confiscation at this point in the United States is, like, it's an utter joke unless you assume that, like, everyone will just go turn theirs in. But, you know, I, w- I would just I would just ask that you turn your attention to how New Zealand's, like, mandatory turn-in went. Like, they were looking at, like, some cases they were looking at less than 10% compliance, you, you're joking to yourself if you think the U.S. will have a higher compliance rate with a gun turn-in than New Zealand.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's way too late for that. The genie's out of the bottle long time ago. Um, and what would you say to people that say like, "Oh, you're just you're paranoid, man." Like you're talking about this possible civil war, blah blah. Like, I mean, do you actually believe in that? And and if so, would you would you think to these people that kind of say you guys are paranoid?
1: Like, I don't think I don't think a civil war is necessarily actually coming. Uh, that said, it, especially these past couple of months you really see the social fabric of the country uh, unraveling and you see that the, it really seems like the 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 two great big political factions if you will in the United States are having a harder and harder time living with one another, at least living peacefully with one another. so it wouldn't surprise me if there are talks of... Uh, maybe states seceding from the United States. I don't know that would actually seriously go anywhere, because of course, like there's huge ramifications with that. But I think that being prepared, you know, if, if anything, these past couple of months should signal to most people that there is a distinct possibility that these sort of things happen again, and they happen more extremely than they happened this time around, and that you being prepared for that, you know, the you know, chances that happens, admittedly, probably pretty slim. It costs you four hundred dollars to buy insurance for something that there's a slim chance of it happening. It's like a four hundred dollar one time payment to buy your AR fifteen for this insurance. You know, if if you believe that there's you know, an even even a chance of this social breakdown happening, it might not be a bad idea for you to go ahead and get ahead of the curve and then get your insurance against this sort of a thing happening. If you know, if you believe that an AR fifteen will do you any good, if you don't believe it'll do you any good, I disagree. But you're the one you're the one preparing for your eventuality. Prepare for it. You know, as you will, and you know, as so, so as for as for uh, insinuations that I'm paranoid. I mean, I I, I have just as much an access to the sort of things that the United States government has done in, in the past as you, as everyone else does. Uh, and I can't hardly look at those sort of things and, like, hang my head in shame about the fact that I was once, like, super proud and, like, America number one and this country has never done anything wrong. Because, like, in school, you're not really taught about the things, the hideously wrong things that your country's done wrong. I think, like, the Trail of Tears was mentioned once or twice and it was like, oh, we shouldn't have done that, but Andrew Jackson wasn't a great dude. Anyway, moving on, we've done nothing else wrong. But, like, they don't tell you about, like, like the uh, the, the bonus army that marched on Washington. Like... Our country's generals ordered our current standing army to shoot on our veterans. <laughs> that is absolutely insane to me. It's like, like pe- people say, like, oh, but would they really have? You know, would the military really come and shoot at you? Like, if you look at, if you look at historically, they wouldn't even have like a second. You know, they wouldn't even have like a doubt about it. It'd be like, well, okay.
0: I think you're right, and I think a lot of this comes from. I think America, like, no offense, but I think you guys are particularly bad with the brainwashing of, like, you know. For the country type stuff but also we have it over here as well you know it's a lack of education there is you know a lot of people right now are saying um we need to learn about the way that britain enslaved black people in schools and people are like some people are against it and it's like why would you be against that it's education it's not meant to be partisan it's not meant to be indoctrination it's education you should teach what happened and that's that it should be black and white in my opinion
1: if you don't get out ahead of admitting the things that you've done done is wrong, it makes it seem like, and in fact it probably is, that you're hiding them. I think I've argued in the past that, you know, like, you know, British people who come to argue with me, like, look at how bad America is. I'm like, you know, in my mind, the things that Imperial Britain did are worse than what the Nazis did in terms of, like, the number of people that you killed in the interests of your own, uh, you know, the country's financial gain makes, in my mind, you look worse than the Nazis. Like, you didn't come right out and say that the reason you're doing it was genocide, but To the Indians, it sure looked like that's exactly what Churchill was going for.
0: All you have to do is do, like, 10 minutes research on the concentration camps that Britain set up in Kenya and the unbelievable levels of, like, completely pointless, just horrific violence done on those people as, like, sport, basically, and it's like, come on now, like, let's not pretend we're all innocent here, you know?
1: Right. And like I earlier, I had mentioned like you, it's really, really hard to find a single country that at one point in time hasn't done like, a, uh, that's not okay. Sort of a thing.
0: Yeah, of course. It's human nature to be an absolute fucking prick, um, to be honest. <laughs> um, to go back to the 3D printing now, Um, you know, we've gone into the politics and, and the, the intricate and the kind of technical details, but also I understand that you guys get a lot of enjoyment out of this right it's a hobby that's always what I've seen it as because I'm aware of Lutty and you know I've read about slam shotguns just you know I'm very interested in zip guns just my whole life I just find it interesting so I kind of felt like oh these guys it's a hobby
1: so I I, of course I would be lying if I said like there wasn't some sort of like enjoyment that I derive out of doing this sort of thing like there's sometimes where it's like like, I've been going on, like, 10 hours of writing up documentation, teaching people how to do things, and I'm, like, wanting to just pound my head in with a baseball bat so that I may fall into a coma and not have to keep writing. <laughs> but... Like, like there is certainly, like, like especially with, like, the first shots through the plastic. Plastikov was probably the most fun I've had doing this. Like, you know, I set up my little string, and then I fired the gun from a string, and then, imme- you know, after it fired one shot and didn't break, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm putting this right next to my face, and I'm ripping through the rest of this mag as fast as I can. Like, I was so excited to, you know, shoot it with my hands after it didn't blow up in one shot. You know, it's like there's this like a little bit of an adrenaline aspect, like, oh my God, this could, you know, th- this could fall apart in my hands and maybe hurt me. As well as like the aspect of like, no one's ever done this sort of thing before and it's kind cool of cool. As well as, like, you know, combined with the fact like, the, and this might be difficult for some people to, like, if you haven't shot a gun, it can be difficult for you to understand. But, like, for the same reason that running around in a video game and, like, run, running around shooting things in a video game is fun. Like, running around and shooting a gun in real life sort of has this, like, oh, it's cool because of the smell and the recoil and the sound and the, you know, s- you know, seeing your bullet strike your target downrange. Like, that. that's a very cool thing to experience. And even after you've done it, like, probably in my case, like, hundreds of thousands of times I've shot a gun it still continues to sort of be like a well well, that was really cool
0: yeah and to a lot of people you sound like a complete fucking psychopath (laughs) but you know it's in a in a world full of guns or a country full of guns I mean I mean come on man like I've never fired a gun in my life but certainly if I ever go to America I'm going to a fucking shooting range definitely I, I think it's I guess it comes down to different personalities, but the idea that someone can't see the enjoyment of it—I guess it's—I don't know—I don't get that. But you know, to each their own.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've—I've—I've I've, I've taken a couple foreign people uh, shooting before, even, and I, there's there's only one example of a person who didn't immediately walk away from it with like just like the stupidest grin on their face, like even shooting like little stuff like a 22, you know, they shoot a can from a hundred yards and it blows up and they just have like the stupidest look on their face. Like that was the most fun thing I've ever done. And usually like they go into it expecting like, Oh, this, you know, I, I don't understand why someone would enjoy this. And then they come out of it. Like, oh, like, I understand why someone would, you know, spend $1,000 on a rifle and then, you know, a lot of money on an ammo and then more than $1,000 on a scope for their gun just to, like, shoot at cans? Like, what's the point? And then after they do it, they're like, oh, so, you, you know, it's like, it's like any sort of sport or any sort of hobby or any sort of, like, discipline even, like, like, you know, I'm sure people could make, like, equal accusations about, like, martial arts. Like, you know, like, why would you spend money on all the athletic get-up and money on all the time training and money on all the classes? To, like, just to learn how to punch? How much fun can punching be? And then once you actually like, sort of learn it and, like, you've, you've grappled with somebody, it's like, oh, like, you know, there's kind of like a – it's, it's like, not necessarily, like, liberating, but, like, there's some enjoyment that you can derive from the fact that, like, you've done something that requires some – You know, some hand-eye coordination, some sort of skill, you know, much the same way, like, you know, shooting a can from 100 yards with a rifle. It's, you know, by the time you're, like, good at shooting, that's not really that impressive. But, like, if you miss your first time and then you miss your second shot, but then you hit it on your third, it's like a, well, hey, hey, look at what I did, you know, and you've accomplished something. And so it's like that, that sort, same sort of enjoyment, like you get out of beating like a hard level in a video game or something. You sort of get that same thing out of like a, oh, I just landed a shot from 100 yards onto a soda can. Like a soda can's really small, right? I hit a soda can from 100 yards with this this little rifle and that's, you know, it's exciting. It, it offers you some sort of enjoyment.
0: Yeah, and it, I think it comes down to in this horrible kind of toxic, you know, oh, I believe this, so therefore I can't talk to you vibe that we all live in now. Um, people just need to remember, you don't have to understand people's enjoyment so long as they're not hurting anyone and people could argue well it's a gun well actually you know like you hurt more people when you're practicing like tie boxing than you would shoot in a can but um you know people we just don't always have to understand each other's I guess desires and whatever I think it's fine um anyway I, one more question I, I want to ask there's a lot of people I get it every time I post something about 3d printed guns I'm like oh this is interesting what, oh yeah that that will break if you fire it two times it, it's gonna it's gonna blow your hands off. Uh and I'm like I thought that once and then I read about it and was like oh that's that's not true <laughs> like why is everybody saying this and maybe give us an idea of how how many shots perhaps and I'm sure you've tested it how many shots would the plastic oil, for example take before it quote unquote blew off your hands
1: <laughs> so I I feel like you know starting from the beginning a lot of people have these opinions because their understanding of 3D printed guns comes from like a, a very like ignorant, like lacking nuance standpoint. So there's people whose only understanding of 3D printed guns is the fact that in 2013, uh, Cody Wilson fired a Liberator that was chambered in 380, and you know if you printed it wrong, it could blow up. And that's there, that. That's that. When they think of 3D printed guns, they think that technology hasn't changed since 2013. Uh, since since you know since you and I and the rest of the world realizes that like the Xbox 360 isn't the pinnacle of video gaming technology, like. Things have changed since 2013. We all realize this. So, like there's people that just come from like the standpoint of they don't realize that technology changes there's also and these are my least favorite people potentially in the world like they might even be worse than nazis i'll just say that to make it controversial even though it's not true they're they're the people they're they're like the fake experts they're like a person who has used a 3d printer or even people who use 3d printers fairly often either in their work or in their hobby who have never printed a gun it's important to remember these people have not printed a gun or necessarily any functional gun that's even like a remote comparable analog to a gun but they're familiar with the fact that plastics aren't equivalent to metal and therefore they feel the need to let you know that plastic is weaker than metal therefore gun that used to be metal that is now plastic must explode and it's like the most like the most caveman uh, platonic thinking you could possibly imagine like they don't realize that of course there's reinforcement that goes on sometimes they're aware of the fact you know sometimes that these people are like specifically pe- speaking to the fact that like you can't print 100 percent of a gun i mean there is no 100 percent 3d printed gun even the liberator requires a steel firing pen so we all we all recognize there isn't a 100 percent printed gun and so they're just like setting up this straw man of all guns all 3d printed gun. You know, for something to be a 3d printed gun it must be 100 percent printed unless it's not then it's not a 3d printed gun which is just sort of like a silly semantic argument that if you'd like i could uh, delineate more later, but they're just like these false experts that feel the need to let you know that something would never work. And even, even sometimes like my fate, my, 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 favorite of these least favorite people will be the ones who will tell you like, oh, there's no way an AR-15 lower would last like five rounds. Plastic's weaker than aluminum. It would just blow up and you blow off your hands. And so then I can very easily just you know quote tweet them with a video of me mag dumping an AR and my hands very clearly aren't blown clear off my body.
0: And how how many rounds is that like a, a mag dump like when you're using that AR lower?
1: Thirty rounds through an AR fifteen mag, but you you could get you know thousands of rounds or more through an AR fifteen lower. So you can put so many rounds through it, it isn't feasible to film it all in one sitting because you'll go through like all of a day you know in, you know unless you've got a thousand rounds that you can load into magazines in advance, you'll spend like three. Hours of that video just loading magazines in order to fire a thousand rounds, so like you you can fire so many rounds it isn't feasible to show it off on video, and on one single printed AR-15 lower before it has a chance of breaking even. So you know, that that that's like the second kind of person who who tweets out the you're going to explode your hands, and there's a third type, and it, I think it's a little bit less common, but I think they're like the wishful thinker. So there are people who will make the argument like uh, 3d printed guns aren't aren't going to ever work because 3d printers are too expensive. Then you point out like a $200 printer is really all you need. And and then they'll, they'll sort of like move the goalposts again to like a, okay, but like the, the parts themselves are like impossible to buy. And you'll be like, well, no, you live in America. The parts are not at all hard to buy. Like you you can be like 12 years old and order these because they don't even check your age when you buy them. And so then they'll move the goalposts. Like, okay, yeah, but you will blow up your hands immediately because, like, at this point, they've moved the goalposts so far that they're just like clutching to this last thread, this last chance that they have of having relevance in this argument. And like, you can stomp on their fingers as they're clinging to this ledge and have them fall. It's be like, no, they don't. They don't blow up in your hands. I mean, I have fired well over ten thousand rounds through, you know, specifically 3D printed guns, and I still have ten fingers. So I th- I'd say I'm doing I'm doing pretty good.
0: We spoke. Uh, before we hit record, a little bit about you were saying there's kind of like a renaissance was the word you used uh, within the 3D printed gun community. Maybe you can talk about that and what you meant.
1: Right. So uh, the first, you know, so immediately firing following the firing of the you know, the Liberator in 2013 sort of spawned like this whole you know, media storm and interest in this sort of thing. And you know the first type of person who says that you're going to blow up your hands, this is when they formulated their opinions for the most part because like the liberator was it. There was defense distributed had done a printable AR15 lower that they demonstrated 600 rounds on. So that was sort of like the state of the tech. You could do an AR15 lower that was good for about a thousand rounds, and you could do the liberator. And not much else by the means of printable firearms. So there was a little bit of development that went into it in uh, open source style groups. Of course, Defense Distributed got stopped by the federal government, which you know hiccuped their uh, progression. But there were some other groups that uh, further development. So we got to AR-15 lowers that could you know, easily you know, would be expected to surpass a thousand rounds, and as well as you know some other uh, peripheral designs so like more grips, more stocks, all sorts of little printable stuff. Uh, as well as like, you know, I, I think probably the only other printable receiver that immediately comes to mind is a printable receiver for the VZ61 Scorpion. So if you played Call of Duty Black Ops 1, that's the Scorpion from Black Ops 1, not the Scorpion from Black Ops 2. At least that's how I tell them apart because that's where I learned about the specific guns from.
0: <laughs> you're, uh, you're showing your age.
1: <laughs> right, I'll, I'll out myself like that. Th- those are sort of the things that like essentially up to like 2017, that was about it. Was There were a couple other uh, printable designs, so, like the Wash Bear was a printable twenty-two caliber revolver, which was a double action even, so you, know, you could keep pulling the trigger and it would keep revolving the cylinder on this revolver, as well as there was the Songbird, which was, you know, both Washbear and Songbird are much like the Liberator, where there's almost the entire gun is printed. It doesn't rely on a commercial parts kit. The parts that it would rely on are generic, if you will. So... Uh, you know, uh, even up until twenty eighteen, that was pretty much the state, the state of the art. There was also a uh, Durwood's AP nine, which was uh, what what the FGC nine would end up being based on, which was a semi automatic nine millimeter carbine, but the uh, AP nine used uh, Glock barrels. So that was that was essentially the state-of-the-art going into 2018. So after 2018 was sort of like when I got involved and when Jay Stark got involved and a bunch of other people like really sort of saw this calling in the fact that the Fed settled with Defense Distributed. And even though the uh, judge in was- federal judge in Washington ended up like ceasing their victory, essentially shutting down their victory, and now it's all like still playing out in courts, it sort of spawned this uh, new interest in this movement. And, as well as the fact that like I I personally think like the big reason more development wasn't done following twenty thirteen is the fact that printers then cost you know a printer that would cost you then two thousand dollars is is inferior to the Creality Ender three which costs you two hundred dollars today like printers got ten times cheaper in those five or six years and they got higher quality while being ten times cheaper so that was a very significant change and so it was it was largely on the coattails of the fact that printers got better printers got cheaper and there was this new like media storm interest in you know the printable gun is back again that sort of drove you know interest in people like myself to go and develop more stuff and so out of this you saw you know something some, something that had been experimented with before was uh, printable glock frames so a guy in one of these previous open source groups had done a 22 caliber glock upper on a printed glock frame but he personally believed that nine millimeter you know, full, full power if you will Glock uppers wouldn't work on it that only only little 22 caliber uppers would work on it and so like almost immediately you see this Renaissance like make nine millimeter printable Glock frames done it, not only Glock 17 but Glock 19 and then Glock 26 and then Glock 43 and then Glock uh, now we're, now we've even got like you know 40 caliber glock so Glock 22 so like that you know that umbrella opened very quickly you've seen uh, tech 9 a b 10. Uh, printable receivers because those parts gets used to go for like less than a hundred dollars a piece they used to be everywhere because no one had a way to make no one had a good way to make receivers for them and then with 3d printing you now see those parts gets go for over 300 dollars if you can find one like we we completely destroyed demolished the market for those uh, there's printable frames for uh, uh, the high point uh, c9s high point c380s as well as uh, frames coming up for the 40 cal and 45 caliber high points You've seen uh, Mac 11, Mac 10 receivers uh, become printable. You've seen massive improvements in the printable AR-15 lowers. So, like 1,000 rounds, like over 1,000 rounds before expectable. Now you've got to the point that you know I've demonstrated myself doing a rifle push-up on a 3D-printed AR-15 lower. So you take the weakest part of that lower, and then you're doing a a push-up with you know the rifle between you and the floor specifically putting as much stress as possible about the weakest part of that lower and it doesn't give up you know even holding your whole body weight so you've seen lowers get to the point that they're abusable for ar-15s as well as the fact that you know you you if you didn't get a thousand rounds from it you you could immediately assume it's because you didn't you didn't print it right or you did something wrong and it wasn't the print's fault so like really seen big leaps there of course you've seen like the plastikov You've seen the FGC9, which took the AP9's operating mechanism and then adapted it so that it could use the generic barrel. And then, like I haven't even mentioned, like the electrochemical machining barrel setup is something that's sort of come out of this renaissance where it was a proof of concept Jeff Rod had done prior to this renaissance. But now with like everyone can afford these super cheap printers and the documentation is plentiful and thorough – like, we've at this point, I've seen barrels made in France. I've seen barrels made in Germany. I've seen barrels made in the Czech Republic. I've seen barrels made in Poland and in the UK, even in as well as Canada. And that's just the people who have given me permission to say where they are and that they've made barrels. There are people elsewhere, even in Asia, who have made barrels using this technique. Like, you've really seen an explosion even outside the United States of people who not only can now afford, but now have the inspiration to do these things. And the inspiration I'm sure is due in large part to like, you know, the, the, the flashy trailers and the hyped up language and the gun control is dead sort of rhetoric, like, you know, that, that sort of thing. Maybe there is a kernel of truth in it, like in all propaganda, there's usually a kernel of truth, but mostly it's just to like hype people up and get them interested. And I'd argue it does like a very good job of that. Like, you know. It, it informs people about where things are at, and if they're the sort of people who are interested in doing that sort of thing themselves, it lets them know where you know where to start. And so that's sort of what I mean with this renaissance: is you've gone from a thing where like three D printing was just sort of like this geeky niche thing where you could essentially make guns, you know, guns and or firearm parts that were just like range toys, to the point where it's like it's approaching the point where the it's reliable enough that the only reason you wouldn't take it as your primary choice is just because you can you you're still legally able to get stuff that is better like like If it came down to something where it's like I have to pick between a 22 caliber factory made handgun or a Plastikov when I hear a noise like someone breaking in downstairs and it sounds like it's more than one person, it's going to be the Plastikov. Like 10 times out of 10, I'm given that choice because I can trust the Plastikov to be reliable. And I know it's not going to break because it's not like I'm going to like dump three or 400 rounds inside of my own house all in one sitting and overheat it. I mean, at, at that point, like, you're just going to get a new house anyway, and it's not like it makes a big difference. Like, it, it's probably, I think the point I've made before is, like, if you need more than 240 rounds in a gunfight, a gun isn't what you needed to bring to that fight. Like, if, if you fired 240 rounds, like, it, at that point, it's like, if you don't have some sort of, like, cruise missile or air support that you can call in, or, you know, a rifle was the wrong thing to bring to that fight, and you should have just retreated in the first place. So... This this Renaissance is sort of, you know, if I had to sum it up, it's taken it from this sort of extremely niche, extremely geeky thing, not necessarily into the mainstream, but to the point where it's something that the mainstream could, the, the mainstream could adopt it, and it wouldn't immediately become like the butt of a bad joke.
0: Yeah, and I think as well the decentralized nature of what you guys are doing now, you know, I think that's where. Cody Wilson fucked up as as well as soliciting girls for sex and paying for it. Uh, Yeah, like that that was a big fuck up. But like you guys, you guys are decentralized, right? I mean, if they shut you down, I mean, no offense, but it's like, so what? It's not going anywhere.
1: Right if the if the ATF shows up and says we're here for your guns then like okay I'll 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 turn the guns that they ask for over or if they have a warrant they'll just come in and take them but you know my development unless you know, unless I was getting sued behind their raid my development wouldn't be stopped like I would be printing more guns tomorrow unless like unless unless I was specifically told that I'm being stopped for making any more guns or my lawyer says like yeah stop doing that then I I would like immediately resume Work the next day because it's not like it would really be that big of a setback. You know, financially it'd be a setback, but as far as like the progress goes, no, you know, nothing will have been halted because I could just still keep working on things. You know, and, you know, even if like like I like say, I was smited by lightning tomorrow, a tornado knocked the house down, and I died in my sleep. Like my my actual contribution to this sort of environment isn't you know is not strictly necessary. So like there's other developers who are in other parts of the country or even other parts of the world who are you know, working on these sorts of things. So it's not like it's coming from one centralized organization or one, you know, it's not like there's one particular developer doing all the work. It's it's sort of like this like and I, sometimes I geek out about it. Like you know, it's it's cool to see Especially from like when it's not well, a project I have nothing to do with, it's probably the coolest part to see. It's like another developer has a project that they've worked on, and they've got it to the point where you know their 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 example of this part is working well, and they want to have you know more data, so they reach out to the you know the general chat on the deterrence dispensed keybase group, and so they'll ask them you know could i get a couple of testers to help with testing this and you know a couple of testers it's, it's usually about 10 it's not a ton of people that are interested will like come and they'll buy the parts kits that they need and they'll follow the documentation and they'll all then build a gun they'll put some rounds through it test it and then give feedback to the developer and the developer can fold in their changes or try and work out any sort of bugs that come along and then after one or two rounds of that we can then publish those files and those files are like at that point, you know you can have like an industry-level reliable firearm because it's been tested across multiple different kinds of printers and sometimes multiple different kinds of plastic that it's been printed out of, and it's been tested with different ammo, all in this very decentralized way where it's like 10 different people who each only had to buy one printer and each only had to buy one kind of ammo and each only had to buy one parts kit, but the end result is a part that has been tested on 10 different kinds of printers with 10 different kinds of ammo with 10 different parts kits. And even built by 10 different people to ensure that like, you know, the difference of tools that you used to build it didn't make that big of a difference. So that, that, I think, may even be the biggest promise of the Renaissance, all told, is the fact that there's, there's more collaboration that goes on in this very cool, decentralized way that you know, I'm sure with some open source softwares, they enjoy the same sort of like a, a healthy working environment but I feel like it's not something that you see in many other things in terms of it, it helps progress get done very, very quickly, very efficiently into a, like a high degree of polish. Like, like people, you know, people end up having an expectation of the things that they download from like the master library will work. And we do our best to ensure that, you know, without a doubt, it will be a good file that you download. It will be a working part that you get and, you know previous attempts at this sort of a thing was sort of a hodgepodge of it was on the end user to find something that worked. And it may even require you to make you know, it may even require you to know how to use CAD or know how to hand fit firearm parts. You know, be, beyond just, like, simple stuff like putting a gun together, you'd have to know, like, why isn't this fitting together and then make alterations to it using, you know, real tools. And so, that sort of difficulty is taken out of it. And it makes it a lot more, all you have to know how to do is set up your printer and then print the part and then put the thing together.
0: Yeah, well, have the Troll, um... I don't necessarily agree with everything you're doing, but I find it incredibly interesting, man. Um, thank you very much. Is there anything you want to say before we uh, wrap this up?
1: Oh, geez, I'm not gonna do any more grandstanding. I'm gonna make that decision now, so I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you like overthrow tyrants and all that fun stuff. But uh, so for now, I'm on Twitter, and my handle is. Uh, at Ivan underscore is underscore back who knows how long this Twitter account will last I think I'm also on reddit and I believe my current reddit name is Ivan T troll all one word but again like my reddit accounts I I go through them like toilet paper at this point (laughs) constant constantly getting banned from reddit
0: all right mate brilliant thanks very much for coming on
1: anytime I enjoy it
0: was Ivan the Troll speaking about 3D printed guns, at the Renaissance of and uh, the Plastikov. Obviously it's going to annoy a lot of people, um, a lot of people are really against 3D printed guns, some don't care, some love them, um, but yeah, it is what it is, I think it's interesting. So yeah, Ivan the Troll, very uh, interesting projects they've got going on there. Uh, if you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider subscribing to our Patreon. You get bonus episodes, access to the community discord, you get um, narrated articles, you get uh, access to the instructional um, Too call For J School series, you get all sorts of discount codes for merchandise every time we have a drop, there's a lot going on. And at the same time you get to support popular front and the more money we get on the patreon the more we put back into popular front i'm sure you can see that the production value is going up and up and up we're doing more documentaries Um, we're looking at maybe doing a proper like audio podcast series like as a part of popular front as well soon if the uh you know if the patreon keeps going steady so yeah thank you very much to the supporters but consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popular front If you don't like uh, Patreon, uh, their leader makes some very weird political decisions um, based on outrage from a mob on Twitter, it seems. So, yeah, go uh, support us at uh, popularfront.co slash support if you want to do it that way. (coughs) Um, Or you can buy our merchandise at popularfront.shop. T-shirts, everything. Um, This episode was sponsored by Oracle Coffee Shop in Portland, Oregon, USA. Our friends, they're an independent coffee shop selling only fair trade products. See them at 3875 Southwest, Bond Avenue 97239. Tell them Popular Front sent you. The episode is also sponsored by Grindcore House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA. One in South, one in West. Check them out on social media at Grindcore House and go and see them. Tell them we sent you. The episode is also sponsored by Propagandopolis, an outlet selling and informing people about historical conflict propaganda. Get prints at propagandopolis.com and use the Popular Front code Popular Front 10 to get 10% off any prints you buy there. Follow us on social media Instagram at Popular Front, Twitter at Popular Front CO. my Twitter is at Jake underscore Hanrahan h a n a h a n same as my instagram i reinstated that just mostly posting bullshit to be honest um, but there are other projects outside of popular front that i will post on there um, yeah go follow us or subscribe to us rather on youtube youtube.com slash popular front we've got a lot going on there at a the minute many more docs um it's harder to climb with the subscribers on the youtube we're only at like twenty thousand, i think nearly um, but do share our stuff, we're shadow banned to fuck all over the place The whole uh, channel is demonetized. most of our videos don't come up in the search You know, if YouTube can't make money off of you, they don't give a fuck They'd rather hear people um, talking shit, going into suicide forests and mocking dead bodies Than they would like people informing the world about conflict journalism um, And the world in disrepair, but there you go, that's YouTube um, They're effectively hollow and evil <laughs> i want to say um but yeah it's the best platform so yeah well best platform for documentaries and that so youtube.com slash popular front subscribe tell your mates share the new videos we've got a belarus uh, dispatch coming out very very soon um the new um rise and fall of the chop documentary is out there now so yeah check us out there um thank you very much to the following higher tier patreons they are k hardy roberts alexander nicholas butter ron swanson jd jav bastian Gamello ritmeyer ian froice james cully michael akakan ethan reyes fitz madrid joe watt alex northrop ed coulthard johnny laflair clayton taylor hugo Newski, maxwell burke Anthony Kabarak, Mike Barone, Dong Wayne, Scott Hopton, Liam Williams, Fragile Feeling, Chris Cusimano, Sebastian from the Discord, uh, Degenerate Zero Alpha, D R C Jackson, Trey Nance, Trey Nance, I don't know why I read that out the whole thing like that. Charlie, Olin Thorne, Amy Rupert, Rubicon, uh, Prashant Singh, Azad, Frank Austin. I've lost my place. Amelia Mee, Christina Ravetti, Moody Al Rashid, Bill Wilson, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, uh, Brian McLaughlin, Ari from the Discord, Young Wasabi, Sarushe Hawazi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, Scartoon Music, Stephen Davila, Patrick Bronte, Dan Dunham, Fletcher Tate, Chad Walker, Diana Gorvinek, Qball Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick, Emily Molly, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, and Joanne Stocker. Thank you all very much. Again, if you want to support us, go to slash popular front. Music in this episode the intro was by Home and the outro was by Sam Black, aka Son of Old. Check him out at samblackpf.com.